This is Coda Radio, episode 547 for December 4th, 2023. Hey friend, welcome in to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and joining us and feeling much better this week, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hey, Mike. I am healed, kind of. Mostly. Other than the bit that'll stick in your lungs for the next few weeks, right? Correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know, it's right. At, you're sliding right into the holidays, so like the, the probability of the kids getting sick, thus you getting sick, is going way up. And it's been a rough couple of years of, of that already. And I've been telling the kids, like, you got to stay healthy and you got to brace yourself. It's going to be a little bit leaner Christmas. Mm-hmm. You you know, it, it's and I try to explain inflation to them, but I think they just glaze over. <laughs> well, they told you that you're wrong. The economy's great. I, I literally was listening to. Uh, uh, well, I, I don't, I don't want to slag off the wrong podcast, but it was one of the financial podcasts. I, it wasn't plan. Was it, I think it was Planet Money from NPR, and they had this guy on, this presenter, and his whole argument was, "There's nothing wrong with the economy. You're all just depressed." Yeah. Now, Chris, as as a as a married man, mm-hmm. when a problem by the missus is presented to you, how effective? Right. <laughs> is saying this is your problem, honey. I don't know what your deal right. is. This is your problem. You're clearly wrong about this. You're lying eyes. For example, let's take something, you know, non-cancelable here. No, honey, you're not cold. It's you're just in your head. Right. Yes, good luck with that. That is uh what we're supposed to think about the economy. Although my son has not been held back by any economic constraints. <laughs> I'm gonna play a little game about how much in the last forty five days has been charged on my Xbox Live account. Oh, goodness. For just Minecraft purchases. Oh, man. That were made without my knowledge, I I should say. See, my point of reference is App Store pricing. And I would imagine things might be slightly more expensive. They they sure are. Yeah. Hmm. $120? Low. I'm low? Oh, way low. Way low. $800? High. So it was roughly $650. Oh my goodness! Yes. Oh my goodness! I uh, I'm in the process of trying to get Microsoft to at least reserve re- reverse a good portion of that. That's like uh, that's like a good solid two and a half three trips to the grocery store here in Washington State. And it's it's kind of sneaky because now you know I put all the parental controls on, so not doing anything on that Xbox is a pain in the butt. Yes, yeah. But the interface that Minecraft uses is awfully. Uh, I don't know. So it's a, it's a little much, right? Like there's a lot of shiny stuff going on. There's a lot of like animations and he legitimately didn't realize he was spending real money. So I think I've noticed a new, uh, Roblox Mm. scam. You know, there is such an opportunity on that platform. Oh yeah. We really, we really should have focused in on that, man. We could be making so much money, you know, just running scams against kids that got their parents, Apple account on, on file. So, you know, like, you, say you have one of these games where you convince kids to buy every iteration of an animal. You know, this one's got a rainbow. This one's got a red hat. So you got to have them both, even though they're the same thing. They just rendered a different hat, you know. And then they'll run that game into the ground because they're always rife with fraud and scams. But what they do now is a little switcheroo where they launch, like, the next version as a, a whole new game inside the Roblox platform. And you got to buy everything all over again. Oh, 
Yeah. It's, uh, I, I understand there's like developers who all they do is make like Roblox. I don't, I don't know if the appropriate term is skims. Skins. Yeah. Skins. Sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. but I, I think they're making real money. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of account stealing going on. I mean, once a week, somebody tries to steal my kid's account. Uh, yeah, that sounds... I've gotten pretty good at detecting it now, so in some ways, it's kind of... <laughs> it's a silver lining, I suppose. But, you know, it's it's not just belt tightening for you and I. Uh, today, as we go on the air, Spotify announced they're laying off 17%. It's like one in five people in their workforce. Brutal. This is the third round of layoffs in 2023 alone for Spotify. So that's about 25% of their entire staff this year. They just laid off most of their podcast division about a month and a half ago or something like that. And, of course, the perverse thing is like their stock's almost up 5% on the news because the market loves this, loves seeing this. Companies love layoffs in the holidays, you know? <laughs> yes, they're, it, it, it's kind of um... – Perverse, perverse. You, you would evil. I, I would say like firing people around Christmas. It's just something you shouldn't do. I I have never wanted to do it. Um, well, somebody should have sent that memo to Broadcom because they're laying off twenty eight hundred folks from the VMware acquisition. Oh yeah. Um, and then they've also put off that gentleman's layoff agreement essentially, where they just say, get your, the quote their CEO, the new the new CEO, their new boss said get your butt back into the office or else essentially, you know, they're going to fire you with cause if you don't get back in there. Apple is cutting contractors in Austin. This is all just in the last couple of weeks. Twilo, I think announced today or yesterday, they're cutting 5% of their workforce. Unity is laying off 4% of their staff. Today, the CBC TV and radio up in Canada is laying off around 700 employees. That's just like in the last couple of days. And the stock prices are bubbling up. I think it's the Federal Warren Act, at least for companies here in the States, because under the Federal Warren Act, companies with 100 or more employees that are planning a large layoff have to provide staff with 60 days notice. That's how we even found out about the uh, VMware layoffs. They haven't actually made a public statement, but they have had to file warrant notices. Now, some states have more stringent rules like 90-day notices and stuff like that. But if a company fails to provide minimum required notice, like, say you're getting let go in 30 days or without cause, they have to provide you with pay and benefits for the warning period, which is often why they seem like they're so generous with the pay because they kind of have to because of federal law, <laughs> especially if they don't give you the full notice. Unlike in Florida, where the notice is you hear the gator coming. <laughs> yeah, uh, and here it's the uh, volcano erupting or the ginormous earthquake or a tsunami. I think why I say maybe the Warren Act has something to do with this is because if you look at the time constraints this puts on employers and they're looking at their next fiscal year, I think it ends up where they want to start the next year with a clean slate or they want to, by, by the time Q1, this is the way the businesses think, by the time Q1 is over, we want to have digested all of these changes. And in order to accomplish that and provide these people with enough notice as per the Federal Warn Act requires, we end up seeing layoffs in December. And I think it's just gross. But I think it's a combination of companies being a bit heartless about it because, I mean, they could do these in November or October with, uh, you know, a little bit of regulations that kind of force their hand. If they're going to get this done, they have to do it around this time in order for it to be clear by next year. That's my – at least that's my bacon about it. I don't know if that's true or not, but 
I, I'm kind of mixed on this. I think layoffs are, are not great. I think layoffs, literally the first week of December, is super pricky. But is it... Is it not true that some of these companies were bloated? Like Spotify seems like they were bloated, right? Although the drunk money they, they did, spent... They did a lot of pandemic hiring. Yeah. Yes, Spotify in particular. I mean... I guess I would also criticize the drunk money they spent on, like, the Obamas and Joe Rogan for all that podcast stuff. But I, I don't I, – I, see, I don't I, – I hear your bacon. I just – is there nobody, like, in the C-suite of these companies that's like, hey, man, I have kids. They have kids. Maybe let's not, like, make mom or dad have that really stressful, you know, how am I going to buy a sufficient amount of Christmas stuff? You know, a, a company of five people where things change rapidly, I could understand like, oh, crap, things have gone really south really fast. But a company Spotify size or larger, Apple or Broadcom, Unity, they, they they must have a sense this is coming by, say, October. You know, they must know. But maybe it just takes so long to put it all together and cover their legal butts. But it just seems like this is a lot easier of a pill to swallow in October or, hell, even early November than it is in December, days before Christmas. I, and I can't believe they don't think of the PR impact of this because we see you and we'll remember this. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You're, you're, think about You know, Apple is tidy with the contractors, right? Because it's not technically Apple doing the layoffs. Apple's like, eh, sucks to be you. Yeah, yeah, it's the contracting company. Um, now, I know you have uh, uh, a little ditty to get into about Xcode this week. And so I plucked... An Xcode rant from the Matrix to start us up. But before we go there, I just want to give a heads up to everybody real soups quick. Linux Fest Northwest 2024 has officially been announced. It'll be April 26th through the 28th in Bellingham, Washington. And we are working to have it back at the original spot, but we'll see. We may have a couple of we may have a couple of creative things, but we're we do have a call for speakers out right now, 30 minute, 90 minute, full day workshops even. And a call for sponsors. I will put links to that stuff in the show notes. This is a fantastic event. We try to make it every year. I've been going for 20 plus years. The mini fest was a huge success. So I think that's really going to set up some nice momentum for the main fest in April. And it's also just a beautiful time to come to the Pacific Northwest. So it's pretty great. Linux Fest Northwest 2024. Ready or not, here we come. I think it's going to be a good one. Now, Mr. Dominic, uh, and again, links to all that in the show notes. I want to read this uh, Pirate Bite ninja in the matrix shared this this is a little bit old but uh i went and grabbed it because i knew this was coming up on the show today i think he's looking for us to talk him down he says i'm thinking about dropping mac support on windows i write a game i build it on windows i run it on windows it's fine for linux i tend to build a dev vm i compile inside that vm for linux it works for the mac well, first, I have to buy a $900-ish Mac, then pay Apple $100 for the key, and then I have to have a, I have to compile the whole damn thing inside of Xcode, which is dog crap, and I hate it. And when it breaks, I have to do the whole thing all over again. And this is for like 0.2% of my users. Should I even be bothering? You know, it's obviously got to make sense financially, whatever you're doing. So if the Mac is not providing enough revenue to actually matter and if you don't have so many existing mac users that you think it'll be like some kind of reputational problem then then drop it right i mean the folks that i'm working with now all the wrong games you know they have ios and mac and i mean i'm doing a lot of ios stuff right there's a 
supporting another platform is a lot of work and expensive. And can I ask you something? Mm-hmm. So you know, Apple's got that game and development environment that's essentially kind of like Proton under the hood. If that became something pretty solid, do you think it'd be a reasonable thing to target? So instead of necessarily targeting macOS, you kind of target that Proton environment. I know it's kind of not the same, but imagine if there was sort of that Steam Proton play environment that became, like it works on Linux, became available on macOS. Might that be a more viable solution, even though it's turtles all the way down in terms of API emulations and whatnot? If if it had the level of support as Linux Proton? Yeah, yeah. Uh, sure, right? I mean, if I was developing my own game and I had to support Linux, I would be super tempted to just, like, not, right, and make sure it's okay with Proton. I, I'd say uh, to the audience, boost or write in, does it seem reasonable? Like, would that be a, a satisfiable answer to you as a Mac user if essentially they just took the open source Proton code and got it all working on the Mac? Maybe it's even... Valve that does it, would that be a suitable answer for you as a Mac user? Would you be okay essentially installing Windows games on your Mac like us Linux users are doing? I mean, I would love to. I mean, could I just answer the question like that? Yeah, for you, I'd love to know. I'd, I, I'd like them to answer too. Yeah, yeah, I I mean, I have this big problem with, uh, with I'm working on Alderaan that like the tooling on Mac sucks. And I, you know, my compile times are super high. I'm super slow Obviously, I'm learning Unreal, so you know that that slows me down too. But like Xcode doesn't even do syntax highlighting right for this stuff. All right, well, let's get into it. So stand by. Alderon.games/coder. Alderon Games is looking to hire some talented remote workers, and that might just be you. Matt contacted me a bit ago. He's the lead over at Alderon Games. He told me he was listening to Coder Radio almost a decade ago when he was still working his nine to five, and somehow. I don't know how we inspired him to go start his own business. I thought the show kind of inspired people the other direction, but no, Matt, he's a rebel, and it's actually been going pretty well for him. They've been growing, and if you listen to this podcast, you're probably a quick learner. You're likely a good fit. They got multiple positions. I was just looking over there at alderon.game slash coder. I still see a back-end PHP position open. I still see a game designer, QA tester, a senior Unreal game developer, a gameplay security engineer, and I know, too, they've got some Linux systems over there. They might need your help. Go check them out, because Alderaan Games is an independent self-publisher. Totally in the spirit of how JB does things. So I think it's probably going to be a good fit. If you like how we do things, you'll probably like how Alderaan does things. So check them out, brush up your resume, maybe even your GitHub a little bit, and then head over to alderaan.games/coder. They're looking for some great remote workers. And if you listen to this show and you go to that URL, you might just get your toe in the door. Alderon.games slash coder. All right, so give it to me. How bad has it been? First of all, tell me about your setup. I or remind me, are you on a you're on a new MacBook? I'm on the last generation MacBook Pro. It's the M2. Yeah, let me see. Let me bring it. That's newish. That's I mean, I know it's not the M3. Yeah, it's but. the M2 Max. Uh 96 gigs of RAM, blah, blah, blah. All right. It's just not, an, I mean, this is a huge project, so it kind of makes sense. But the real issue, right? Like I can live with compile times that like require me to go make a cup of tea and do something else. That's, that's fine. But the fact that like Xcode can't do suggest completions for some reason for this code base, uh, the syntax highlighting is wrong. I have an issue right now before we got on the show where you know how you have the compiler macros. That's like if, you know, it's like if, is Mac or if is whatever Linux. 
it consistently Xcode consistently highlights them in reverse, meaning it shows the code that's actually not going to be run for because I'm doing the iOS or some iOS stuff as as off. It just straight up lies to you. <laughs> and this is, uh, by the way, for folks who don't know, Xcode is the preferred editor on macOS for Unreal, according to Unreal, right? According to Epic Games. So just the experience sucks such that that I, if it ever shows up, I'm ordering a Threadripper from System76 to install Windows 11 on so I can try to work in Visual Studio. It's It's just lousy. I mean, it's... And it's lousy in a really dumb way, right? Because Xcode, maybe we should take a step back. The language for Unreal games is C++. When you bring in the Apple stuff, you can commingle Objective-C, right? Because C++ and Objective-C can hang out. But you got to watch out because you got to make sure you, you know, cordon that off to only run on iOS and Mac. But Xcode very proudly supports C++, except not in this case for some reason. Man, that's infuriating. And it's awful i mean i've I've done builds where i sit there wait for it to build and realize i spelt like path of titans wrong like i typoed something and so you know the whole thing breaks but i have to sit there for however long till it just like breaks at the end now the there is a answer to this right i could simply buy a better mac i mean dude that's a decent mac yeah i've never had a machine this powerful m2 max 96 gigs of ram super fast disk it's yeah, and that's a good point. Real time update. So Matt from Alderon apparently is listening live and is sending me DMs. <laughs> you know, Apple. He makes a good point. Apple did rip out OpenGL because they love their sweet, sweet lock-in. They didn't embrace Vulcan either. What I try to think about is what do the next two years look like for Xcode? Nightmare. It's going to be a nightmare because they're going to be if the leaks are correct, they're going to be ramming in their own large language model into this thing, trying to totally revamp the autocomplete slash IntelliSense type stuff. They need, they need to do what Microsoft did a few years ago. And I, you know, I just it's it's so funny because I I haven't really touched Visual Studio proper in a long time until, you know, maybe here and there, but like working on the Alderaan stuff. I tried it out on an underpowered Lenovo. They've done a great job with Visual Studio. To the point of I'm I'm living in envy of Windows now, which is a sick place for me to be. How the, how things have changed. Well, if you think about it, though, yeah. I want to get my job done, right? I don't want to be the slowest pony in the stables. And I it's very frustrating to not have I've, – I've become spoiled. I'm used to syntax highlighting. I'm used to – you know, I hit, I hit dot after a variable name. I want to see the list of available functions. I don't want to have to – Go to, you know, ChatGPT or to the Unreal documentation and have to, how do I convert the string into a UTF-8 string again for the 400th time that I can't remember? So, and that is a simple thing that, I mean, frankly, VS Code does a better job. I've tried that out. And because <laughs> Copilot figures it out, right? Like, it's, it's a... I, I, I really, it's it's almost inexplicable that Apple hasn't been able to make this better. And that's why never I... never really invested a whole lot no. I imagine that's going to be the next couple of years, and I think it's going to be horrible. They might even, you know, Final Cut Pro 10 this thing. Well, they, they even made it shittier, right? Because Xcode used to at least have community plugins. Uh, I mean, I'm going way back to ancient iOS development here. But, you know, the package man- manager Carthage, a lot of folks used to use. I was more of a CocoaPods guy, but whatever. It w- You could install a plugin, and it would be right there on Xcode. It was a precursor to the Swift package manager. They People had extensions for... Uh, for uh, Interface Builder when it was a separate app to do kind of like templated interfaces. I remember I was uh, 
I don't think I can say the name of the startup because they're gone now, but the, this was a very design intensive place. They uh, contracted with me as an iOS developer and they had a very specific type of UI that everything needed to be. And they just developed their own, uh, their own zip. We're going way back here, right? Their own zip template for interface builder as an extension. And you could go in and be like, I want one of these. And there's like a menu of like four or five and their whole app was those. How much time that saves? No, no, but Apple says no more extensions to Xcode. No, no, you don't need that. Listen, you should be grateful. You are getting to publish on their excellent hardware and their excellent OS through their excellent app store that they made. And they are the envy of the tech world. You should be grateful, Mike. I mean, the hardware Jeez, is great. Figure it out. I, it, you know, it's, it's we talk about it every couple of months when I when I decide to play with my iPad. That is an awesome machine that is inexplicably held back by policy decisions that make no sense. Well, everybody would love to be able to make those policy decisions. Yes. It seems Activision Blizzard had a plan or a ploy to launch its own Android game store. Now, the reason why this is notable is it was also used as a negotiating leverage technique with Google to kind of get a backdoor Google ad rev deal. And these are all coming out because of court cases and then emails and then testimony. <laughs> so Activision was hoping that uh, that if everything worked out, they would either A, get a sweetheart deal from Google, or B, create their own app store that they would launch on Android in like a really low-key, soft launch way, slowly add features to, and then they write, they would attempt to do the same thing on the iPhone. The, quote, end state goal, according to the documents, was to put Activision and Blizzard and King's titles and some third-party games on Android first with iOS to follow. But if they got a sweet deal from Google, they were going to scrap their plans. And that's exactly what happened. Google signed a deal worth more than $100 million. But the implication in these documents is that Activision Blizzard kind of let it leak. They kind of let it be known that they were working on an app store. So that way Google would come to the table and negotiate. What? Bobby Kotek do something shady? No. And it makes you wonder if Apple also caught wind of it. I don't think Apple cares. Well, perhaps. But as you know, Microsoft's trying to gobble up Activision Blizzard. And the CEO of uh, Xbox, which is a funny title, uh, Phil Spencer, told Bloomberg, quote, we're actively working Today, not only alone, but talking to other partners who'd also like to see more choice for how they monetize on the phone. They have plans to make an app store, an Xbox app store, potentially. And it sounds like they might be leveraging the technology that Activision Blizzard initially started working on years ago. They might take some of that work, move it forward, and create the Xbox app store, which would probably be some web app or something. Yeah, for sure. And... Um, I don't know. Charge, I think the word is like charge somewhere between 20 and 10% of a cut instead of 30%. So they'd be the cheaper store. So basically the Apple, like when you make less than a million dollars, 15% deal. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> everybody wants to be Apple in this way, right? Everybody's got that sweet, sweet Apple envy. Yeah. Man, $69 billion to get Activision Blizzard. I bet. I bet they were looking through all the little uh, IP inside that company for $69 billion. They're picking through everything. It makes sense, right? It's um, uh, I'm not going to bore everybody, but you know, I love to read history books. You can look at my, my Goodreads count. 
And I read one a couple years ago about the guy who started Levi's jeans. What a brilliant guy. Who the hell wants to dig and try to find gold? I mean, we've all played the Oregon Trail. I still have dysentery. Yeah. Sell them the they need, the jeans, the pickaxes. Apple's like, I had to be honest, I still think the App Store makes a lot of sense for small developers as we were going extinct at a rate that hasn't been seen since the dinosaurs. But it's neither here nor there. It's really not terrible if you can play within their sandbox. You just sometimes they make these crazy ass decisions. And I worry that if like Microsoft adopts this, which you could argue they kind of already have with the Xbox, right? Are we just going to be living in a universe where independent developers are basically sharecroppers for these these you know insert insert house Targaryen and house uh, what's the one the guy gets killed Stark right they all get killed <laughs> yeah I mean they all die it's game yeah. Games, but yeah yeah I don't I just I'm I'm staring at this computer wondering why there are so many strange limitations on this ecosystem. It's not you. You said uh, the Xbox. It's also the Windows App Store. It's not as bad. But <laughs> okay, it's, but it's I mean, sure. Yeah, it's also the WebOS App Store. Uh... Actually, the WebOS App Store was very open. <sighs> Poor one that. Oh, since we're totally off topic, are you? Do you have a beverage nearby to pour out? Uh, sure. I got a. I got. It's just a glass of water. But okay, my son comes home from his uh, coding uh, camp. He does a couple times a week. And he says, Dad, with, with a very serious, as though, you know, he's a traffic cop that just saw me Tokyo drifting down I-95. Dad, why don't we have Minecraft the Java version? He looks me dead in the eyes, says, the Java version you can program yourself, and I like Java. I almost <laughs> had a heart attack out of pure joy. I think Duke, maybe <laughs> his hand came out of the grave for a second. Oh, Duke. Duke. This one's Pour for one you. Out. It's these kids, would, man. These yeah. everything old is new, and sure enough, Microsoft is more than happy to charge you again for the same game, just the Java version. Well, they figured yeah. it out, you know. So what's happened? Because my kids have said something similar: is the Bedrock version is all monetized and kind of locked yep. down, but there's still an active community of modders and and skinners and you know uh, world builders on the Java version, and so all of the community innovation. Is happening and on the, the Java, Java version one. where yeah. people, yeah, and so yeah, my kids, my kids too are playing more of the Java version than they do the Bedrock. Edition. See that you, a lot you come more. for the coding and tech news, you get dad stories. <laughs> That's right. Uh, while we're still on, uh, if you will indulge oh, for a moment, yeah. While we are still on the uh, Microsoft subject, why don't we uh, talk a little .NET eight? Yes, did come out. We kind of missed it because we a lot has been going on, but seems pretty sweet. It seems impressive. Uh, they've they've definitely focused on well. Let's get the uh, the blue elephant out of the room real quick. So uh, uh, easy uh, easy configuration for specific services. And what's the example they give you? A bunch of Azure services. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna take another W on this one. It's all about Azure. I care what they say. Azure all day long. And yeah, it's it's actually. Although I will say Azure. I find sort of a pain to configure when I rarely have to do it. So I wouldn't mind something a little easier. Um, they got some UTF-8 improvements. For those who don't know, UTF-8 is kind of a pain in the ass in .NET uh, if you do it incorrectly, I guess. 
Uh, frozen dictionaries and other related types. So these are basically what they sound like, but they're effectively read-only. So the right once read-only for literally performance reasons, right? Uh, my good old Cocoa developers will know an NS array is a lot faster than an NS mutable array for the obvious reasons of, you know, being read-only. Or It's actually not read-only, right? It's you create it, you write it, and then you can't modify it. They added, yeah, they added this whole shuffle, like, subnamespace to random. Hey, all right. I, I was a little confused because this – usually Microsoft's tech announcements are good. I felt like there was a little bit of marketing jazz hands on this one where it's like, it's better for ML, but they didn't explain why. <laughs> but they got it in there. <laughs> so they got it in there. They got, they got the buzzword. So I, I'm just going to assume they're telling the truth. Here's one I'm kind of skeptical of. Uh, .NET Aspire, which is like a new web framework that is supposed to, well, we could read it, right? It's an opinionated cloud-ready stack for building observable production-ready distributed applications, blah, 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 blah. So it's a collection of NuGet packages uh, that it's, it's, it's like Rails, right? Think, but like not the same patterns as Rails. I'm curious as to how much traction this will get, because mm-hmm. I will tell you that the .NET developers I know doing web and cloud stuff you will uh you will pull their MVC, you know, .NET MVC from their cold dead hands. Yeah. So I don't know. But right there in one of their first examples, builder, add Azure Service Bus. You can go ahead and add all the Azure services as one liners. Because I again we I should point out too, I'm not I'm not just kidding here. This thing is seems very focused on being basically a quick way to develop uh kind of like focused web applications or they call them cloud applications i'm not sure what the difference is uh that you deploy to azure so uh if you're a .NET person tell me if that's interesting to you i i mean they they literally advertise that the aspire components simplify working with azure it feels very would you like to be locked in our blue blue garden i don't know i'm, I'm curious what you think about that chris because doesn't it feel a little embrace extendy it kind of feels like they're trying to create the ultimate end-to-end solution for Microsoft developers that are developing on the Microsoft platform for enterprise that use Microsoft technologies. You said Microsoft a lot. I know, right? Because it's it's like if you, you – and you know these people. You've probably had clients like this where they their shop, their entire world, their to- whole technology focus is Microsoft. You know, they're using Exchange. They're using Actual Directory. They're, everything's in .NET. They're deploying in, on SharePoint or whatever. You know, like you know that this, these types of shops. I think this is great for them. Uh, yeah, it it does feel like with .NET eight in particular, and maybe it's just because of all the examples, and maybe it's the combination of all the examples with the language mm. choices, and I, I mean actual like not .NET marketing. marketing, the language and the announcements. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it really does feel like this is the this is the Azure of choice language, choice of language for all Azure. Yeah, I'll, I'll do some field research because actually they, uh, as I've mentioned before, they have a campus down here in Tampa. And let me tell you, I until I moved here, I did not realize how just effective Microsoft salesmen and dev relations people can be. They, they're they here, man. Like, they're convincing startups that .NET's the way to go, left and right. Uh, and they're doing it with just a ton of free Azure credits. So, I, I yeah, I know a few people I could talk to about this that would watch. They probably have been in the beta for like four years 
tailscale.com slash coder. Head on over there, support the show, and get a free account for up to 100 devices. I actually, I'm on the free plan, and I have everything on Tailscale. It's a zero-config VPN that you can get up and running in just minutes. It uses WireGuard for the encryption. It's powerful, feature-remote VPN. They can give yourself access to a flat mesh network or a team. It's great in the enterprise. It's great for the individual. And it is rock-solid reliable. Been using it now for a long time. And all of my networking goes over Tailscale. And it's just a rock. For 99% of the cases, you're actually just talking machine to machine. Every now and then there's some weird scenario where you might relay something through Tailscale. But that's, in my experience, maybe never even happened to me. Because it works so good even if you have carrier-grade NAT and you got a firewall that doesn't let you do ports, you know, like through UAPMP or anything like that. It'll handle it. It'll handle it elegantly and simply. And it'll integrate with your existing authentication infrastructure if you've got that. It's perfect for software developers who need to set up a little ad hoc networking. And you don't want to have to fuss with, like, firewalls and subnets. And, man, for businesses. For businesses, it is a step change in how you do VPNs. First of all, no more crazy hardware or licenses or having a dedicated VPN person Uh, which not only is really complicated, really slow, doesn't scale, Tailscale will integrate with your existing enterprise infrastructure, and you can deploy it on devices in just minutes. You can deploy it via push deployments in an enterprise, and it's built on WireGuard, so you have that security and that trust. And there's a lot of great tools like Tailscale Send and Tailscale SSH, which just give you all this kind of functionality and features that are really great, too, when you're trying to do deployments via scripts or automations and testing. And I use Tailscale to do all my family support as well. You can see I'm really a big fan, and I know you're going to love it too. I can say that with a lot of confidence. And you can try it for 100 devices, and you get like three sub-accounts on that as well. That's pretty great, and it's a nice way to support the show. So try it out, tailscale.com slash coder. That's where you got to go. It's tailscale.com slash coder. Another lawsuit going on, the old Google versus Epic. You remember this battle that's going on between Apple and Epic and Google and Epic. Well, it came out in court testimony that Google employees, including the CEO, Sundar Pichai, have purposely enabled the auto-delete option for internal chats to keep information out of the courtroom. The judge of the case called Google's act of destroying evidence, quote, a frontal assault on the fair administration of justice and that it, quote, undercuts due process and said, quote, deeply troubling and called it, quote, the most serious and disturbing evidence I have ever seen in my decade on the bench with respect to a party intentionally suppressing relevant evidence. That's what you want when you go to court. You want the judge to, on the record, (laughs) openly say that you've done something so outrageous that they're actually shocked. And the judge also threatened to, quote, get to the bottom of who's responsible. But I mean, oh, you also want the judge doing his own investigation, too. That's great. (laughs) Also interesting, the judge has ordered both companies to start discussing a potential settlement, which neither of them has been willing to do so far. And the judge said it's time to just calm down and start talking settlements here because this is going to get ugly. So that's like in kindergarten where the teacher's like, you know, okay, boys, I've had enough of your Yeah. Shake hands, say you're sorry. You know, it turns out that the courts have gotten hip to the fact that auto-delete isn't a default. And that for most chats, like, you know, they thought they were being real clever with the auto-delete. Oh, you remember, they were, 
they they kind of learned this lesson in uh 2002 right, right? with jeffrey skilling over yeah. at enron oh we just like routinely burn and shred a bunch of our documents you do what yeah uh, for those who don't know uh he and a number of other executives spent a lot of time in uh federal prison so now uh while we have documents that have come out and revealed interesting little tidbits Turns out there is maybe a little bit more context, maybe, just to some of the information we heard coming out during the OpenAI crazy weekend. You remember during all of this, there was some discussion that maybe Sam had stepped out and was trying to solicit investment from some Saudi investors for an AI chip company. And one of the hypotheses at the time was that the board was upset about that. I, yeah, I could, I could see, I could understand why they'd be upset. Well, here's a little more detail. So it turns out Sam Altman led a seed financing round in 2008 for this AI chip company. It's called Rain, and then he himself personally invested one million dollars into this chip company. And then after he did that, he convinced the Open AI board to invest fifty-one million dollars into the company. Now, they haven't received that money as far as I know, but a bit of a conflict of interest there. And once again, here we find Sam with a bit of a conflict of interest because, remember, Sam also is one of the founders of WorldCoin, which is a scam coin that is supposed to save us all from AI identity theft while he's selling AI tools. Rain has also received a seed investment from a venture unit of the Chinese search engine Baidu, which didn't really raise any concerns, but then once Sam started flirting with the Saudis, it, quote, attracted significant concerns. That's interesting. Yeah. Apparently, Rain's initial chips are based on the RISC-V open-source architecture, and Rain claims they aim to provide a chip capable of both training machine algorithms and running them once they're ready for deployment. There's so, there's a lot of smoke around the RISC-V stuff. That's what Chris Latner was doing for a while, too. Um. Yeah, although their funding's running a little tight. Oh, it's um, everybody's. You know, I mean. As things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a wild story. So Sam invests in this company. He helps them He helps them in 2008 raise funds. Then he invests a million. Then later convinces OpenAI to invest $51 million into a company he has a stake in. I, there's a lot of questions around Sam, man, that just, even with all of this, didn't get asked. Just this seems like a big conflict of interest, both with the WorldCoin stuff and with this Rain AI stuff. Yeah, I, you know, there's going to be a really good book to buy on Audible about this one. I hope so. I think this podcast is it, buddy. Like nobody else is really covering this angle of it. This is somebody's going to have to just cut this all together because. See, this is the interesting part, though. Like the the, the stuff with the salacious allegations and the stuff about him not getting along with the. By the way, the guy from Cora. Seriously. Although yeah. apparently that guy's like really mean. Dude, don't don't mess with me, dude. Sorry, I'm just a poor boy from Florida. Yeah, he's got his finger in quite a few pies, and I, yeah, I. On the one hand, if he really had no equity, which seems to be basically true, right when this all went down when this all started and if his own board was let's say putting up a lot of resistance i kind of you know my inner entrepreneur is kind of like yeah i don't what are you talking about what do you mean slow down but if he was doing this stuff like remember their comment what was it their comment a lack of candor yeah 
so is this like did they did he tell them that he wanted to do this who knows you know like come clean or was this like something he did and got caught and that's maybe when he reached out to the saudis that raised some red flags and that then they found out it's all speculation at this point. Yeah, but everybody's reaching out to the Saudis now. I mean, right? I mean, listen to, listen to Professor Galloway. He's always talking about the kingdom. COP27. They just hosted COP27. They just hosted the climate. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's where the money is. <laughs> or 28 I, or whatever it is. Yeah, come on. I mean, give me a break. I'm also curious, like, this rain company doesn't seem to be getting any coverage. But if what, from the little we've been able to find, if what is uh, being said about them or what they say about themselves is true... That's a serious, you know, everybody's trying to make their own chips right now, right? This could be a contender. Yeah, and maybe OpenAI should invest in it. Right, um, maybe he's like, I, I gotta say, like, whatever you think he of He might Sa- not be right. He, may not, he might be right. Right, whatever you think of Sam Altman, he doesn't seem like a dummy to me. I, you know, the, the man is... A psychopath, maybe, but not a dummy. Well, you know, it's the valley. <laughs> yeah. It's table stakes. I mean, Aunt Kara has a book coming out. I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be pretty, pretty glorious in that regard. So I think there was just some leadership changes at Rain once the ties to the Saudis came out. Once that became public, they did like a leadership change. So I'm going to start keeping my eye on it a little bit. Just kind of see where this all goes. It's a fascinating. I'll put what links we do have in the show notes if people are interested and want to. You know, okay. So can we play my favorite game? Yeah, what do you got? We're going to The Verge's headlines. Oh, God. Okay. Oh, man. The Verge has been so bad recently. Well, they just did massive layoffs. Vox, their parent company, just did a shit ton of layoffs. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. So I, I, I think this isn't them being bad. I think this is I, – I, they don't have bodies. Top story. Top story. Where are all the robot trucks? Which is really a backhanded way to bitch slap Elon Musk because we, we hate him for some reason. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Eve brings energy monitoring to a smart thing. Okay. Okay. No, dude. 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 Their next top story is a smart plug gets energy monitoring. Dude. That's not a big deal. It, it is. It is a. It is a device. Okay, but that's the that's the top story on the verge. After where are the robot I'm, trucks? I'm like an abused spouse at this point. I will <laughs> if even if the flowers are wilted and smell like the gas station, I will take them. Okay, all right. Uh, Spotify layoff seventeen percent. Great, makes yeah. sense. Perfect. Yep. Mm-hmm. OpenAI COO thinks AI for business is overhyped. Again, we've been saying that for months. It is interesting to hear them cover something anti-AI, but, uh, you know, it's one person's opinion, dude. It's not like an actual damning. Yeah, thing. it's like it's, they interviewed a guy and, yeah. Uh, Tesla warns. Uh, so, so far, we have five top stories. Two out of five are anti-Elon. Uh, and the next one is ridiculous space lasers. Well, and space lasers probably has some anti-Elon. Right. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I don't understand exactly what happened to these guys. I mean, I, I know things are tight. Yeah. I feel like you and I should take a challenge here. Maybe we'll get Wes to, uh, as long as he doesn't bring any closure. We go to our local cities, and we go to like the startup meetups. I bet we could each find at least three interesting companies. They may not be successful, right? They probably won't be because most startups fail. But that are more interesting than most of this stuff. Like, Dude, we must have some in the audience. I bet we do. I bet we don't even have to leave our bunkers, right? We could just be like, right, right. right you know what? Write us in. There you go. Yeah. Coder.show slash contact. Actually, boost us in pay to play. Let's go. Boost. Yeah. Let's boost it in. The show needs the support. Boy, next year's looking bad. <laughs> great. Also, you know, let's take a moment and thank our members. That's another great way to support the show. CoderQA.co. You get the coder leads when they come out. You support the show directly. And you get an ad free version, which uh, we always appreciate. And um, you get the warm fuzzies of not only the member exclusive content, but uh, the support. CoderQA.co. 
Co or Jupiter.party for all of the shows. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on the rain stuff, uh, but we'd like to hear your takes too. Um, I, I know something else I want to put out there. We had one booster touch on this this week, but I'd like to gauge people's interest in our coverage of the AI stories. And so let us know too much coverage, more coverage, less coverage. You could boost in about that too. If you'd like to boost in, just go get a new podcast app. That's kind of the funnest way to do because there's a whole new ecosystem of podcasts with all kinds of cool features, podcastapps.com. But if you don't want to switch apps yet, actually, there's. I'm going to tell you there's a new way. I've told you about Albi before and the web. You know what? There's even an easier way I realized. Now that Strike is available kind of around the world in at least 36 countries, you can top off on Strike and then go to Fountain FM's website and boost from their website. They'll just put up a QR code. You don't need a new podcast app. You don't need Albi. You don't need to go to the index. It's really easy. I'll put a link in the show notes to both those. Strike is a great app. And now they're available like all around the world. And then you can send a message with their web form and support the show. And with that, we start with our baller boost that came in from our podcast this week with 89,000 sacks. This is so cool. I've already been sharing this around this morning. Uh, he says, hello, Chris and Mike. I stumbled upon an amazing combination of self-hosted AI and Nick's Called Nixified AI, it's at Nixified.ai. It's completely open source, and you can run both a typical ChatGPT-like model and stable diffusion models in web interfaces on your local LAN. I can't believe this is real. This looks so great. That is super cool. I'll put a link yeah. to this in the notes. I know you think I'm over. I'm I'm over uh, overhyped on Nix, but I. I want to make a prediction here on the show right now. I think it's going to take years to play out because this stuff always takes way longer than it should. I think over time, you're going to see your free NAS type appliances, your PF sense type distros, and your purpose-built things for like, this is going to be a Docker container platform that'll have like an app store on it where you can deploy a bunch of apps. More and more over the next five years, they're all going to be Nix-based. I had a I had a conversation with a hardware developer. I, I might have shared it with you. I don't I can't remember, but he told me they were building a piece of hardware that they want to put at a point of sales terminal. And so it needs to be really reliable. Like they're putting two motherboards in this thing. Nice. So we can fail over. Like they're really trying to think about reliability. And they started with Debian and it was okay-ish, but then when they needed to do mass updates and push them out, they they started having problems. So then they started trying different distributions, including Arch and things like Fedora and Silver Blue and all that kind of stuff. And the last thing they tried was Nix because it was, seemed really complicated. But it had totally solved their problems. And now they're basing all of these hardware boxes around Nix because of the way they can manage deployments, because of the way they can define a configuration file, ship that configuration file out, have it reproducibly build. Uh, they, you know, it, if they build it in a certain way in a Nix box in their test environment, they can send those files out to somebody and it'll build exactly the same way on their environment. That kind of stuff, it just leads to a higher quality product. And so like Nixify.ai, I think, is an example of if something's going to be created today of a, of like a true NAS or PFSense type thing where it's a GUI or whatever on top of a bunch of tools underneath, more and more they're going to be using Nix. And I really think it's worth people's time out there. If you're a Linux administrator, if you're in the Linux sysadmin business, I think it's worth your time to invest a weekend into just seeing how much, how how hard it is to pick up Nix. And if it's in your wheelhouse even a little bit, I, I really think you should go all in and study it because mark my words four or five years from now, it's just going to be the trend. But thank you, our podcast, for sending that in. Obviously, I'm very, very excited about that. 
<laughs> he knows how to get me going. I appreciate the support too. <laughs> Jordan Bravo sends in 44,444 sats. That's like, that's like a lot of ducks or something. He's out looking up for all that duck. Uh, it's across two booths. He says, Mike, you mentioned that you were having trouble buying domain names anonymously. Well, there's actually still ways to do so. For example, Namecheap will allow you to buy domains with Bitcoin. Oh, I had no idea. You can combine that with an anonymous email service. Hmm. Um, and he says you'd have yourself a totally non-KYC to purchase domain names. And he says also that he was sorry to hear about my browser woes. Oh. But he does recommend I try Brave. Despite the company dabbling in shite coinery, they still make a better browser than any of the spyware that Google churns out. <laughs> Even Oh, he says, as so for regarding your eyes when they wandered to Mac OS when dealing with frustrating issues on Linux, we've been there. All of us have. You gotta stay strong, brother. Like you said, Apple will only rug you eventually. <laughs> that is so true. They will. And you know what? I uh... I'm mitigating it a little bit. The the shameful thing is I'm using Edge. And if I'm willing to use Edge, I could probably just use Brave. I I, I think I think I think you've gotten through to me, Jordan Bravo. That's a brave choice. Uh I'm gonna give it a go. Rotted Mood comes in with forty thousand sats and just says boost. Thank you, Rotted Mood. We always appreciate the quick support. You don't always have to have an eloquent or thought provoking message. We just also appreciate the support. Mick Zip comes in, or MCZP, 25,000 sats. He says, keep the open AI coverage. This seems to be the only informed source of news on this front for me. Everywhere else is a ton of spin or speculation. Keep up the great work, fellas. Yeah, or hype, or fear porn. Mm. I tell you what, the media loves the narrative of this is going to change society or civilization. They Then they love to throw in, it's moving very fast. And then the trifecta is... We're in a race against China and other nations, and whoever gets to technology X first will have economic supremacy. And that is – you can take those broad points, and that is 95 percent of the AI coverage out there is they just look at it through those three lenses. I find it obnoxious. John A. comes in with 25,000 sats and says, cheers. Cheers to you, John A. Thank you very much for the support. Tampa Tech Trekkie comes in with 5,000 sats using Podverse. Says, I've been a listener since 2012. Oh, huh. You're doing a good job. I remember explicitly because I was listening to the episode JavaScript is not assembly. And it was at the dawn of the JavaScript framework epoch. This show has been my favorite weekly podcast for over a decade. It's helped me peek my head over the cubicle wall in other frameworks and languages. I really appreciate the podcast. So don't suddenly end it like you did in episode 375, Gray Heavens. Low blow. Havens. Uh, That was a shocker that evening. Anyways, love the show. Well, you know what, Tampa Tech Trekkie? With uh, support like yours, we'll continue on despite despite the adpocalypse. Uh, Hopefully. (laughs) Mr. Borkender comes in with one, two, three, four, five cents. You know it. That's a Spaceballs boost. So the combination is <laughs> one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> That's the stupidest combination I ever heard in my life. Uh, and he says, hello, thanks for the great show and predictions about the state of the tech market. It helped me not to be taken by surprise and avoid anxiety. We do like to hear that. Thank you, Mr. Borkender. That is our intention when we talk about the economic stuff. It's not meant to be fearful. It's meant to just give you 
our perspective so that way you could just have multiple points of information on a topic so you can make the best decision possible. Some people maybe choose to get freaked out by it, but I hope others choose to take action or to just disregard it and say, I don't find that argument valid. Either way, it's fine. Magnolia Mayhem comes in, 4,011 sats, using the podcast index. He says, have you considered Falcon? It's incredibly Spartan. Uh, It does mean fewer things to fail. So, you know, could be worth a try. Falcon. Yes, I did not consider the Falcon browser. God, I forgot how many browsers there are. God. You know, you just think of the world in Chrome and Firefox. But there's actually a crap ton of browsers out there. Most of them are all based on Chrome or Firefox. Mm, That's true. Uh yeah. He goes on to say, we're kind of moving in a scary direction. It's just a skip and a jump from here to a situation where we have a pre-revolution French-style laws where there is a law A that tells you you do thing, you'll go to jail, and law B that says if you don't do the same thing, you'll go to jail. It's probably going to push us all to mainly smaller AIs that different groups produce depending on what side they're associated with. So, yeah, I think Chris is on it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, more community AIs for sure. That's that's definitely a trend we're seeing. I even want a JB community one, not because of any political bias, uh, but because I just want to train it against, well, ideally transcripts. Mm. You know, it, it would be kind of cool if we could just go to like a Jupiter search and say, when did Mike first say, uh, you know, or say this about this? Or when was Swift mentioned in the show every time? And, right. you know, just boom, 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 boom. It would just know all of that. Or what were the guys? What was the guy's first take when Apple launched the App Store? You know, like you could ask those types of questions, and it could do well in episode blah blah blah. Mike and Chris reacted to the announcement of the App Store as you know things like that. Yeah, App Store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not so sure. Magnolia Mayhem, thank you for the boost. Scott comes in with five thousand sats. No message though. Appreciate it. And Takairo, which I always mess up, comes in with. Spaceballs boost number two. One, two, three, four, five. Yes. That's amazing. I've got the same combination on my luggage. Regarding your issues with browsers, one thing that stood out to me is the keychain unlock functionality could be set up to unlock at login. So yeah, um, I kind of solved for the keychain issue because the issue is, is my machine auto logs in as part of an automation system that powers it up. So the thing that was causing my keychain prompt to come up, which would cause edge to crap its pants and chrome to crap its pants if I didn't unlock the keychain before they were launched properly I was NextCloud client and so I just removed the NextCloud client from starting to boot and now I just launch it later manually when I need it so that was sort of a really crappy workaround it's not good I'm not proud of it because I want that syncing and I want that stuff backed up but uh, you know I just I was sick and tired of not being able to get my work done so that isn't that how they get you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Very much so. I feel bad about it actually. Um, but uh maybe I'll try Brave and I'll feel better about myself. We had eleven boosters this week. Thank you, everybody. We stacked two hundred and sixty-two thousand two hundred and forty-five sats. This is the way. That is the way. Appreciate the support. Uh, please do boost in if you'd like to support the show directly and this individual production, or become a member at coderqa.co. Oh, man, we're getting to the end, and I just remembered I wanted to totally destroy you on the Star Trek versus Babylon 5 debate. Yes, well, it seems like the shadows did not help you this time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, boost in. Let us know, in uh, your opinion, dear listener, Uh-oh. which is the stronger franchise, Star Trek or Babylon 5? And try to put a little bit of reason in there. It's fine. You don't have to completely come up with all the reasons, but I'd like to know. 
Because uh, a certain someone, not me, but somebody, has suggested that Babylon 5 is actually the superior franchise. Which I just have not been able to forgive. It was like three weeks ago, and it's been chewing away at me. We have been fighting about this. Yeah. Yeah, we have. Uh, yeah. So I, I will say, though, right, I get to pick which Star Trek. Oh, come on. You know where I'm going. Yeah, that's not fair. That's not fair. I might, you know what, though? The worst part is I still might be able to win if you just look at ratings. (laughs) All right. Now, now I will say, if if we're going to be fair, though, I I wonder if you'd agree with this. We'll have a little pregame here. DS9 is probably the closest equivalent to Babylon 5, right? They're kind of the same in a lot of ways. That would be, you know, that'd be interesting to compare the first couple of seasons. Of Babylon 5 versus DS9 or something. I wonder if that would be a fair way to do it. I was going to use Discovery, but you can't count the first season because it's actually good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think DS9 is a more fair comparison. Well, it is the same, right? It's a space station. Space station to space station. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're like isolated and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, but Chris, Babylon 5 has Londo. That is true. I mean, he's glorious. Mm-hmm. And they have those cool spider ships. And I always liked that portal effect. That they the jump, you know, the gate that they use to go through that always looks really cool. Although I think the worm I think the Bajoran wormhole looks cooler, so Yeah, but the Bajoran wormhole gets real weird when uh Cisco becomes like <laughs> he becomes like the Muhammad of the Bajorans. It becomes a plot device, is what it does. Is solve problems for writers. I will admit that. Yeah. Or Quark's bar. <laughs> you ever notice that that bar seems to miraculously become larger? Like Yeah. Yeah, well, until it's time for Vic Fontaine, and then Quark doesn't get any airtime. Oh, Vic Fontaine. But, uh, yeah. Don't get me started. Uh, well, maybe that should be our holiday special. Maybe. Maybe. You got anywhere you want to send the good people before we get out of here? Uh, go to DominicM.com, and if you have spare CPU cycles that you can somehow get to my MacBook, please do. <laughs> send them over there, wirelessly, perhaps. Maybe through Thunderbolt. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, you can find everything we talked about today at coder.show slash 547. Links to our Matrix chat, which goes all week long, but is especially great during our live show. That's also linked over there, as well as our RSS feed and our contact page. We do the show live on Mondays if you'd like to join us. We have that in your local time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar, but it's noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. That makes it easier at jblive.tv. All right. Thank you so much for tuning this week's episode. We really appreciate you listening or sharing the show with somebody. And thanks so much. See you right back here next week. <laughs>